you have your Bibles with you today, uh, we're going to go back to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians and uh, get started there. We're steadily moving through this chapter and I want to go over verses 7 through 13 today. How many are enjoying the book of Ephesians? I know I am. It's opened my my, my eyes to uh, to a lot of different scriptural things, a lot of different doctrines, um, giving me a ton of insight on uh, individual doctrines that are you know that are often subjects of conversations and things like that, or things you know conversations that I've had in the past, and I love to learn. I can't stand it when someone brings up a subject that I don't have any understanding on. And I hate it even worse when the only understanding that I have is that which I've heard somebody say something about in the past. And that's the only understanding that I got because I like to have part in a conversation, especially a spiritual conversation. And if the only thing I know about that, uh, the subject that's at hand is that which somebody's told me about in the future. And I've never, I mean, in the past, and I've never done any study myself. I, I feel like I'm, I'm lost there, you know, and I'm not real confident in what I do know or what I think I know about that doctrine. But um, but I love to learn, and I've been learning a lot through the book of Ephesians, and uh, trying to stay open-minded, teach the scriptures the way that the scriptures are to be taught, not uh, with a bias or some personal opinion that I've already have, you know, in my spirit about this. So I just want to be open-minded, and I hope that everybody else is being open-minded as well. Uh, let the let the the Bible speaks where it speaks, and let us be quiet where it's where it doesn't speak, you know. But with that being said, if you've got your Bibles open to the third chapter of Ephesians, I want to I want to go ahead and read the first thirteen verses in the, in chapter three, just for the sake of context, and then we'll then we'll break it down. It says, "For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Yeshua, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of the Almighty's grace that He gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above." By reading this, you're able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ, Yeshua, through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of the Almighty's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in the Almighty who created all things. This is so that the Almighty's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. This is according to the purpose of the ages which he made in the Messiah, Yeshua our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access, and confidence through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Now the last time we studied Ephesians, we went over verses 1 through 6, where we talked about the mystery of Yahweh that was made known to Paul by revelation. We talked about how the mystery was the building of Yahweh's church through the unification of the Judites and the Gentiles by faith in the Messiah. How the Gentiles have been made co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ. Remember, this had a this had been a mystery up until after Christ was crucified. However, it was his teachings that would fill the lives of the apostles, 
and lead them into an evangelical pursuit for the souls of all nations with the pursuit of freedom and the Messiah in mind. It was by faith in Yeshua that everyone would be united, the church would be built, and the living temple would be established. And while Peter introduced this whole concept in Acts chapter 10, that those who were not Israel could be saved, it was Paul that was chosen to carry this message into the nations for the salvation of many. This was not done just for mankind and their salvation, but to build a holy sanctuary for the indwelling spirit of Yahweh. See, I think a lot of times the focus becomes all about us. We think that it's all about us believing, believing or us helping someone else to believe for the security of souls, but that's simply not true. That's not the reason that Yahweh saves us. The reason for the building of the church is not just for the salvation of people, but for the glorification of Yahweh. That's the reason for the building of the church. We just reap the benefits of Yahweh's grace on our lives in order for him to build his church. We're blessed that way. The intention's not, not necessarily for us. And while this was Yahweh's plan all along, there was a series of events and administrations that took place throughout time to get to this age where this administration would take place. And when I say this administration, I'm speaking about the church. We talked about that last time too. Paul says in verse 5 that this was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. So in times previous to Paul's era, the idea of the church was not even understood. It wasn't even comprehended. The idea of Judahite and Gentile being one in Christ was not even imagined. This is not something that anybody would grasp. Sure, Yahweh made mention of it. We saw that with Abraham in Genesis 22, you know. Uh, Yahweh tells Abraham, he says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your seed. He's speaking of Yeshua. He says, because you have done what? You have obeyed my commands. So see, the idea was, was there. It was mentioned. But it was not fully made known and not understood until the time of the apostles. So, so Paul's kind of the go-to guy on the subject. He's the man that, that we're looking to to understand this. It was his ministry to share the gospel with the Gentiles in order to orchestrate the coming of, his, of this administration. And that's what the book of Ephesians has been explaining for the last three chapters. Now as, we go through it, as, as we're going through chapter 3, we're seeing that Paul wants to pray for these saints and encourage them. But he's still trying to make known the mystery. He's still trying to be sure that they understand clearly. Remember I told you last time I taught that Paul stops at the end of verse 1. And he starts another emphatic explanation of his ministry to the Gentiles and a re-verification of the mystery before he continues his prayer in verse 14. So there's 13 verses right there, or 12 verses, I guess, 2 to verse 13, where Paul's, basically this is in parenthesis, and he's explaining his mystery one more time. He's explaining what, he's, what he wants to tell them about. And we'll get to his prayer next time I teach, Yahweh willing. But before we do, once again, we're in the midst of understanding the mystery in verses 2 through 13. So let's pick up where we left off last time we stopped in verse 6. And I want to start in verse 7 and we'll go, if we uh, get enough time, we'll go all the way to verse 13. Verse 7 says this, it says, I was made a servant of the gospel by the gift of Yahweh's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Now we've discussed several times throughout the course of studying this epistle how Paul was made a prisoner of the gospel. How he was struck down on the road to Damascus and overwhelmed by our Lord. And how Yahweh chose him to be the light unto the Gentiles. 
In Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, Yeshua tells Ananias, he says, Go heal Paul from his blindness. He said, He is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the sons of Israel. So this was Paul's ministry. This is what he was marked out for. And now here in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul recognizes that. And he says, I was made a servant of the gospel by the gift of Yahweh's grace. Do you know, saints, that all of us are made servants? No one person in here chooses to serve to be a servant without Yahweh's grace on their life. We don't just roll out of bed one day and decide to be Yahweh's servant. That's not what we do. It takes Yahweh's divine work upon our heart to change it and to make us desire that way he desires. Well, Paul's just recognizing that here in verse 7. He says, Yahweh's grace was given him by the working of his power. Not Paul's power, not Paul's desire to carry this message to the Gentiles, but Yahweh's power, <coughs> Yahweh's will and desire for Paul. Paul was the vessel that Yahweh used to accomplish this will. So Paul was Yahweh's servant, not by his own accord, but by Yahweh's grace. And on to verse 8, Paul continues by saying this, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah. Notice he says once again that the grace was given to him. Isn't, isn't that the whole idea of grace? I think it kind of goes without saying that, the, that grace is given to you. Grace is unmerited favor. It has to be given to you. Favor is extended to one person by another. It's not something that's achieved. And on top of that, Paul says he recognizes his insufficiency when he says, I'm the least of all the saints. This is extreme, extreme humility. We've talked about Paul's credentials several times through the course of this epistle. So I don't think it needs to be covered again. But Paul was a very prestigious man when it comes to the religion of Judaism. If you stop and think for a second, Paul probably was more biblical than anyone you've ever known or seen in your life when it comes to the the ideology of keeping the Torah or walking in Yahweh's ways. And also think about this. Let's say Paul walks into this congregation one day into the assembly and he wants to teach a lesson on some part of the Bible, it doesn't matter you pick what, but who in here wouldn't want to hear Paul speak? Who in here wouldn't want to sit and listen to the Apostle Paul speak? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul standing behind this podium here wanting to teach here? Who in the world wouldn't want to hear it? I can't I can't imagine. So to the audience that Paul's addressing, Ephesus they would probably perceive him as one of the most knowledgeable men that they've ever met. For crying out loud, he started the church that what they know is the church in their area. So I'm sure he's somewhat iconic to the, to the people in, in Ephesus. But here Paul says, I'm the least of the saints. In other words, Yahweh's grace is so magnificent and overwhelming, he can take a wretch like me and make a servant. Folks, it's a, it's a truly humble state that he's that he's that he's speaking in here it would be a good place for all of us to be i know for myself at least that the more i recognize my insufficiencies within me the more i realize the magnitude of yahweh's grace the the more i realize how wretched i am the more i realize how i'm not good enough the greater i see yahweh's grace it's an amazing gift And so Paul says, I've been given the gift of grace, and then he gives the reason in the latter part of verse 8 and verse 9, and it says, he's been given the gift to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches 
of the Messiah and to shed light for all about all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in Yahweh who created all things. So Yahweh's grace was given to Paul for a purpose. Paul tells us that purpose is this, to share the gospel message with the Gentiles and to shed light on a mystery to all people that has been hidden for ages. We've been talking about this mystery for weeks now, and and like I said before, Paul's just recapping what he's been saying for the last 30 days, or 30 verses. But he's, he's repetitive, and for that reason, I'm repetitive. I feel like I'm teaching the exact same sermon that I taught last time I taught. But because, but because we're going verse by verse here, and Paul's emphatic about being, making sure that it's understood, so he repeats himself, so I'm repeating myself. The mystery, once again, is that Gentiles can have salvation through faith, just like the Judahites. The mystery had never been seen by anyone else before the apostles, you know, of Paul's days. Like I said earlier, as far as I know, Peter was the first to witness this with, with Cornelius. And then Paul set apart to share the message with the nations. I think that I've repeated myself so much through this lesson that the idea of the mystery is becoming weak. I've, I've said it over and over and over again between the last sermon and this sermon. I feel like I'm just losing it. And, uh, or maybe, maybe the strength of the doctrine is weakening, and I don't want it to be that way. I really want you to understand how big a deal this is and uh, how, how big of a deal it was in the day of the apostles. And unless you can remove yourself from the present world that you live in, where there's no hostility between the various groups of people, and place yourself in ancient times where there was extreme tension between two diverse groups of people, you can't possibly understand how serious this mystery was. So listen to me. We have, we have division amongst church, churches today, from Pentecostalism to Baptist to, you know, whatever, Methodist, however you want to pick the sex, there's somewhat of, there's somewhat of tension there when we, when two groups together, we, we get together, we might disagree on certain things, and that's, that's okay to disagree on some things, but we don't understand tension like Gentiles would have understood tension in those days, and um, I'm repeating myself because Paul's repeating and because it's mega important. The other night when Rocket asked everyone in here to testify about what they're thankful for, by the way, Rocket, I thought that was a great idea. I appreciate that. But when it was my turn, I said that I was thankful for the age of the administration of the church. And the reason I said that is because it's what's been on my mind. It's what's been on my plate for weeks now. It's what I've been studying. And I've been studying it so much that it's become clear to me just how serious this would have been in those days. So for just a second, I want you to remove yourself from where you are here. Remove yourself, and I want you to place yourself back then. And to keep it simple, I want you to imagine two groups of people. We use the same two groups, Jews and Gentiles, or Judites and Gentiles. Now, the Jews were in charge of the temple. That's Yahweh's house or his dwelling place. They run the temple. They have the Levitical priests. They have the Holy Land. They have the sacrifices. They have the law. They have the Sanhedrin. That's the governing body of Yahweh's people. And everything else that is known to be of Yahweh at that time, that's what the Judites consist of, okay? They are it. They are very important people when it comes to Yahweh's things. And anything that pertains to Yahweh's, Yahweh is theirs. And no one else can participate. It's kind of like us four and no more. You know, if you're not one of us, we don't, wanna, we don't want you here. If you're not one of us, you're against us. And we're not letting anyone else in unless you convert and become one of us. And if we don't approve, you still can't be one of us. And even if you make it to become one of us, 
you're still not as good as we are because you're not a native-born Judite. So it's just hatred. It's hatred. It's hatred. It's segregation towards a people, towards another people. And that's the way the, the Judites did it. Then you have the Gentiles. Okay? They have nothing. In chapter 2, Paul tells them that they were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. They were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. They were without hope. They were without the Almighty in the world. In other words, they were wretched little roaches that couldn't have anything that belonged to Yahweh. That's the way they were looked at by the Judahite people or by the authorities in Judah. Okay? That's the way they were viewed. They didn't have the sign of circumcision in their in their skin. Their skin may have not have been the right color, and their ancestry didn't line up. And these are some of the reasons that they would have been looked down upon. Whatever the case, but nonetheless, they weren't Jews by birth, and therefore they weren't good enough to participate in the religion of Judaism. Okay, so put yourself in the Gentile shoes. I'm not talking about put yourself back there and be a Judahite, but put yourself in the Gentile shoes and just be lowly and worthless, you know, at least in their mind. Now, for me, if someone treated me in such a way, I don't think that I would even want to be part of their holy religion. You know, I wouldn't want anything to do with it. However, there were some that did, like Cornelius. Cornelius had a great rapport with all the Jews. He loved Yahweh, and Yahweh loved him. It didn't matter how bad that, that, that Cornelius was segregated from the church. He kept on serving Yahweh. He would give, give alms to the Jews, you know, and uh, he prayed to Yahweh. So there were some who still tried to serve Yahweh regardless of how they were treated. But let's just say that you were a Gentile and you wanted to serve the mighty one of Israel and you weren't allowed to. But then one day Yahweh makes known to his Judahite people. He tells his Judahite people, the ones that are in control of the assembly right there, he, he lets his Judahite people know Paul was one of these. He was one of the Pharisees, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, okay? He was one that participated in the, in the temple complex. He was there amongst all the prestigious people. He held the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen. We're not talking about somebody that was, he's not like one of the disciples that the Messiah picked up that was fishing. We're talking about Paul, Paul the Pharisee of the Pharisees. So imagine this, Yahweh makes known to his Judahite apostles and prophets that salvation belongs to the Gentiles just as much as to the Jews. It does, it's not just Paul that gets this understanding, it's Peter that gets this understanding. We're talking about the leaders of the church, Peter, James, John, and we got Paul. Okay, so these people kind of get this, this understanding. And that salvation is not obtained by ceremonial activities and all the rigorous conversions and proselytization, but simply by faith. That's it. Simply by faith. For which one? Anyone can have. Anybody can have faith. Yahweh gives it to them. They can have faith. How big a deal is that for the Gentile? The Gentile that's not accepted, how big a deal does that become to that man? Hey, I can have salvation just like they can. All I have to have is faith. That's it. So how, how great is it that you'd be on equal playing field with the ones that thought they had it all? It would be huge. And not only is that what's taking place, but they've had a few people, important people, by the way, the apostles, supporting this mystery and teaching people that salvation has been brought to all who believe. The mystery's been revealed that anyone who has faith can be saved. The mystery that was hidden for ages was revealed at just the right time through a certain group of people who Paul called himself the least of. He considered himself the least of to create what we call now the church. 
This is what we call the church age. It is critical for the introduction of the gospel into the surrounding parts of the world and eventually on to us. This is what we get today, what the church age started. That's what we're receiving today. Well, I think we're still part of the church age. <clears throat> and it's, it's essential for the advancement of the gospel of our Lord throughout the world. If, if this had never taken place, we, we wouldn't be sharing the gospel now. I feel like I'm doing it such injustice here. But I hope you get what I'm saying. So let's look at verse 10. <clears throat> verse 10 says, this is, this is so the Almighty's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. Paul says here that he's been given this grace and the mystery was made known to him for this reason. <clears throat> so that Yahweh's wisdom would be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heaven. All right, this is going to get a little bit technical here, and don't mean to be technical, but I think I have to be so. There are a couple things we need to look at here. Number one is who is the intended recipient of this revelation? Who is the revelation belong to, and why is it given, and where is it headed? And number two, by what vehicle does Yahweh use to introduce the mystery through? All right, number one, at the end of verse 10, Paul makes mention of the rulers and the authorities in heaven. What does that mean? Well, to start with, whoever this is, they are the intended audience. The intended audience are the rulers in heaven. Okay? This whole mystery has been revealed so that they, whoever they are, would see and understand Yahweh's wisdom. That's the point behind it. So let's see who they are. To start with, there are many ways that the verse is understood throughout the realms of theology today. However, I'm only going to introduce two of these ways to you because I think the rest of them are silly grass, but trying to understand a verse that's very misunderstood. The first option is this. By the way, I think both of these options make sense. I, I choose one. I'll, I'll, I'll make that statement in a minute. I think both of them make sense, though. You could, you could take either one of these options. I don't believe you'd be outside of, you know, biblical lines to understand them that way. However... It's only intended one way, and it's important that we understand it the way that it's intended. So, the first option is this. is that Paul here is making a suggestion that Yahweh has revealed this mystery of the church to the apostles so that the elect angels and authorities in heaven would see his wisdom by his plan to reconcile the world to himself through the redemption of all mankind through faith in his Son. In other words... It is such a mystery that has been kept secret for so long and no one understood it. But through the course of time, Yahweh brought his son on the scene to be, per be the perfect role model <clears throat> and the propitiation of sins. And through his perfect sacrifice, he redeemed mankind in every group on earth. Within every group on earth. Not every man in every group, but through his sacrifice, he has, he has redeemed mankind within every group on earth. And by doing that very thing, most theologians think that it was a sign to the angels, that they are the ones in heaven, the authorities in heaven, that it was a sign to the angels of how great he was and how perfect Yahweh was in his wisdom. His plan coming to fruition is showing the angels how great and how wise Yahweh was. Most would say that just like in the days of creation, Yahweh created the earth and all that's in them, including mankind. And with the angels in the midst, watching everything unfold. By the way, that must have been awesome, huh? To watch. So the angels were there when he created all things. They seen him create the, 
the trees and the grass and the, you know, the ocean and all that teems within them and mankind and all that kind of stuff. So they witnessed all that, and most theologians would say that the angels are here in the, in the, in the New Testament watching these apostles handle this mystery, and by doing so, that's how they're, that's how they're witnessed to. So the theory is that the angels witnessed such a great creation in the beginning and now they're watching the amazing creation in the end being the creation of the church. And one of the verses that the theologians would use to support this theory is 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. And I want to read it because I think it's important. But if you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and we'll actually start in uh, verse 10. It wouldn't be wise, it wouldn't be... It would be a good idea to read the whole chapter, but I'm, I'm not going to do it for the sake of time. But in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 and following, it says this. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or works, what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you concerning things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels desire to look into these things. Okay? There's way too much to be said about this text, and it could be taught on for eight hours. And however, we're limited on time, so... I'm going to only make it two, all right? I'm just kidding. I'll keep it simple. The passage is talking about both prophets and old prophets, both, both prophets of old and prophets and apostles of Peter's day, which was during the church era. Peter says that the prophets inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them would testify about the messianic sufferings and the glories to follow. But then he says... It was revealed to them that they, were, they weren't serving themselves but others when they preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then after that, he says, angels desire to look into these things. We're talking about the angels here being the heavenly authorities, okay? In other words, as the apostles serve others in delivering the gospel message and the building up of the church, they are being perfect stewards of Yahweh's word, which the angels were charged to do from the beginning, by the way. And how many people know that the angels are ministering spirit to people? Everybody know that? They have always been servants of the Most High, Yahweh, and they are mediators for us. They're actually mediators for us. There are many scriptures that teach that. So some theologians think that the authorities in heaven in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 are the angels looking at the church to see how the church was to serve. Not only one another, but also Yahweh. And by doing so, the church would be righteous examples for whom? The angels, right? The angels. So that's one understanding, one theory. They, the, the church would be example for the angels. And that is a, that's, that's one understanding. There is another theory, and this is the one that I lean towards. And uh, I'm offering both because I think both are an option and both fit the text. However, this second theory makes more sense to me. If we keep with the context... We've been studying the book of Ephesians for, I don't know, well over a year now. All right? But if we, keep with a, if we keep with the context, which is key, by the way, no part of Ephesians has talked about angels thus far. 
Not one part of it. All right? However, heavens and earth has been mentioned a couple times. For example, in chapter 1, in verses 9 through 10, it says that he made known to us, the talking about the apostles, he made known to us, the apostles, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he planned in him. For the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth. Okay, when we went through the verse, the first time I talked through Ephesians chapter 1, when we went through that verse, I explained that the things in heaven were the things that were holy upon the earth. And the things that were of earth were the things that were not holy, or not of Yahweh, for instance. Things of heaven was Jerusalem, the Judites, the temple, the temple complex, the temple services, the sacrifices, so forth and so on. Those are things that are considered of heaven. All right? The things on earth were things that were not in Jerusalem, things that were not holy, and things that had not known Yahweh okay, or his ways. And in other words, the lowly Gentiles, like we talked about a minute ago, those would have been things of earth. All right? Now, I think this understanding maintains context. And after all, throughout all three chapters in Ephesians, thus far, we have seen the unification of these two things, the heavenly and the earthly. The Jew and the Gentile. They're representative of one and the other. Okay? Things that were not holy becoming what was considered holy by faith in our risen Lord. We're talking about Gentiles there. They consider not holy. Now all of a sudden when they have faith they're considered things that are holy. Here's another example. In chapter 2 of Ephesians in verse 17 Paul records that Yeshua came proclaiming the good news to those who were far away i.e. Gentiles and to those who were near, i.e. Judites, Gentiles earthly, Judites heavenly, okay? Then verse 18, so that we both have access to Yahweh through him. Verse 19, so we are no longer foreigners, earthly, but now are citizens and members of Yahweh's household, heavenly. Then in verse 21 and following, Paul talks about a building that is being fitted together in him. Speaking of Christ... And is growing into a holy sanctuary. This is the church, guys. And this building is being built for the indwelling of Yahweh's Spirit. So with all that being said, Yeshua came to join the two together. That which was earthly to that which was heavenly. The earthly is who is being preached to here in Ephesians by Paul. That being all the Gentiles. And they're starting to convert and form the church. Right? Well, who hasn't been conformed to Yahweh's church yet? Anybody know? The ones that have all the problems with the Gentiles. The heavenly people. They haven't been converted to Yahweh's church. They're in control of Yahweh's temple. They're in control of all the, all the priestly duties. But they haven't, they haven't converted over to Yahweh's church. Some have. I'm not saying that they're all that way. But I'm saying as the, big, as the general rule of thumb, most of them haven't converted over to Yahweh's church. They're, they're segregating the Gentiles, okay? The Judites in Jerusalem, what Paul calls the heavenly, is what I've got in mind. So if I maintain, maintain context throughout this epistle, and the heavens have represented Jerusalem, the Judites and the temple things up until now, then why shouldn't it mean the same thing here? So let's see if it makes sense. We'll re- reread verse 10 again with this mindset. This is so that Yahweh's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers in the heavens. Let me replace some words for you right here and reread it. 
This is so that Yahweh's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the governing authorities in Jerusalem. Makes sense? At least it does to me. I believe that the authorities in the heavens are the leaders in Jerusalem. The Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, so forth and so on. They're the people who have such a problem with the Gentiles, and I think that's what's taking place here. Yahweh has used his apostles such as Paul, Peter, and the rest to minister to the Gentiles to start the church, and in turn is using the church to make manifest its wisdom to the leaders in Jerusalem. After all, what is the church? Is it not a body of believing servants in which Yahweh's spirit dwells, a holy sanctuary? The church has one purpose, and that purpose is to be a light unto all nations, including the leaders and the authorities in the heavens. Resembling the person of Christ, that's what our job is. This is why the church has so many attributes within itself. This is why we all have different gifts. So that as one comprised unit, we orchestrate and manifest the person of our Messiah. That's the idea. So the mystery is made known through Paul to the church and in turn revealing Yahweh's wisdom to the authorities in the heavens and or the leaders of the Judites. Okay? I hope I explained that well. That's the position that I think makes the most sense and and it's in keeping with the context. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. It says, This is according to the purpose of the ages which he made in the Messiah, Yeshua our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access, and confidence through faith in him. What does it mean that Yahweh made the ages in Christ? Well, I think it's the time frame of administration of Yahweh's big plan of things. Okay? There are many different eras of time where different things take place. Some people call them dispensations. That's fine. I don't have a problem with the word dispensation. It's a biblical term. I don't have a problem with the word dispensation. But there's many different, many different eras of time where different things take place. For instance, we have the time frame of creation. Then we have the time frame of Abraham. We have the time frame of Israel and, and his offspring. We have the Mosaic Covenant. Time frame, we have the time of Christ and all his works. We have time, the time frame of the church or the church age. Yahweh made the age of the church with Christ in mind. Okay, I believe that he made everything with Christ in mind, but specifically here we're dealing with the church, and I believe that he made the church age, the authorities, the rulers, things like that with Christ in mind. There was a specific time that Christ would be brought on the scene, and this is it. All things serve a purpose. Adam was created for a purpose. Adam sinned for a purpose. The law was given for a purpose. The prophets came for a purpose. Christ was born for a purpose. And Christ died for a purpose. And all of these purposes were to fulfill Yahweh's master plan. They were all part of it. Okay? Paul says that this mystery was made known for a purpose. That that purpose was designed with Christ in mind. He's the reason for the season, if you will. And I don't mean that talking about Christmas. He's the reason for the season. So um, he's the reason for this age. Then at the end of the verse, he says, it's in him that we have boldness and access. Through our faith in him, we can stand firm without wavering. It's all because of Yahweh's great love for his son and our faith in his eternal plan of redemption that we can stand confidently. Isn't that wonderful? Just Yahweh, Yahweh orchestrated this long ago, long before Jerry, long before you ever were even thought about. Yahweh's plan of redemption was already set forth and all you had to do was be born and, you know, him to give you a little grace and you believe in his son. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. And this plan was already already thought out a long time ago. Do you know that there's still ages to come? 
that all the ages hadn't been fulfilled. Okay, well, I believe that we're in the age of the church right now, but the, but but all the ages hadn't been fulfilled. Yahweh's plan is is complete. It was complete back in the days of Moses. Yahweh's plan's always been complete from the time he planned it. Okay, it's already it's complete here. That doesn't mean that it's all been manifested and brought forth, and it's, it hadn't become a reality yet. So, um, the plan was there, but through the ages, different different things take place to bring forth that plan to fruition. So the orchestration of Yahweh's plan is still not over yet. We may we may just be at the intermission, man. <laughs> we don't know where we're at. We may just be at the intermission of this great grandiose event. You know, it's like going to a, going to a play. You know, they have an intermission in the halftime. You get out and go get you something to drink and all that kind of stuff. That may work, that may be where we're at in the midst of all Yahweh's grandiose plan. I don't know, and I'm not saying that we are. I'm just saying there's there's ages, there's administrations, and things like that, and it's wonderful. There are still things to come in his plan. The Messiah will one day return and thus usher in the new age. But for us right here, right now, we're the church who these things were revealed to and our faith in the Messiah and the unification of the body of the church, Jew and Gentile, is all part of the plan right now. Okay? So Paul says we have boldness and confident access through our faith in the one and only begotten Son of Yahweh, Yeshua our Messiah. Brothers and sisters, be bold and confident in your faith. Because this is according to Yahweh's eternal plan, purpose and plan. And it's beautiful. Stand firm on your belief in Him. Let's let's look at verse 13. We're almost to that final prayer. And uh, I'll cover that next time I teach him. Then we'll get into something different for a minute and praise Yahweh for that. Paul's about to wear out the patience of me. (laughs) So... um, so then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. All right. Basically, this statement goes back to verse 1 of this chapter where Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, I bring you this mystery. I reveal it to you, and therefore it is made known to the powers that be, the Judites. And I tell you that all of this, I tell you all of this is according to the multifaceted wisdom of Yahweh and his eternal plan. So don't be discouraged in my afflictions, Paul says. In other words, Paul was created by Yahweh for a reason. And that was to be a light unto the Gentiles, to kings and the sons of Israel. His sole goal in life was to share the mystery that Yahweh revealed to him and the surrounding nations. This entire mystery that, was, that we've been talking about for weeks now, this was Paul's mission and purpose in life. Ordained by Yahweh himself. So there's nothing wrong with what Paul's having to go through. So Paul says, don't be discouraged about my afflictions. Don't worry about me. I have boldness, access, and confidence in Christ that I can do these things. Even though I'm beat, I'm tortured, I'm mocked, I'm scorned, I'm ridiculed, and imprisoned, don't be, don't be discouraged. For these things are your glory. All that what has happened to me is for your sake. The gospel message must be preached to you guys, and I just happen to be one of the vessels chosen to do it. Paul wasn't upset about his current situation. He was glad in it. He found joy in his trial. He found joy in the fact that even though he was the least of all the saints, Yahweh had grace on him and made him as a righteous servant. A steward of a great mystery, a means to bring the mystery to us, to reveal to Yahweh's perfect will for all of our lives. What a beautiful revelation. I don't know what it's like to be Paul. But I can only imagine 
it's hard to find joy in your trial. Yeah. You know, James talks about about that in James chapter 1, to, to find joy in your trial. That's not easy to do. Ask somebody that's sick and brokenhearted if, if they can find joy in your trial. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, find joy in that. You know, you, it's, hey, you're learning. When you hit your, when, you know, it says that, you know, find joy in your trial because as we undergo these things, we're made stronger. Perseverance, you know. Well, you're learning when you hit your finger with a hammer. You know, you won't do it too many times. You'll quit. But uh, you won't find joy in it when you hit it. Nobody smacks their finger with a hammer and says, Whoo, man, I sure am glad I hit my thumb. I'm going to do that again. You know, it don't happen like that. Can you imagine what it was like to be Paul? To be beat. To be stoned nearly, nearly. They drug him out of the streets in Iconium thinking he was dead. Or Lystra, I think it was Iconium. They drug him out of the streets. They thought he was dead. He's not worried about a thing right here. He says it's necessary. He says he calls that grace. If somebody stoned me to death, I wouldn't say that was grace. But he calls that grace. He says, by Yahweh's grace that I've been made a servant. By Yahweh's grace that I've been made a servant. He calls that grace. He was proud to serve. And he, and he tells them, he says, don't be discouraged over my afflictions. He said, for it's your glory. It's your glory. Folks, in closing today, I know these three chapters are extensive. And they're sometimes hard to understand and comprehend because we're so far removed from the Bible. That's what makes it tough. But don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. If you want to know something bad enough, do your homework. Go home. Study. Read. Eat. Man, eat from Yahweh's table. Try to put yourself back in that time. And study and search to see if these things to be so. And if you don't understand, pray and fast about these things. Pray and fast about them. Ask ask Yahweh to understand. I've been studying something uh, I was talking to Matthew about it today, but I've been studying something um, in the book of Hebrews, trying to understand some of the priesthood and stuff like that. Um, it's just something that I'm doing on my own time. And I don't understand some of it. And I just prayed, I was, I was praying, I was telling Matthew, I was just praying to ask Yahweh just to open my eyes to see this stuff because I don't want to be wrong in it. I want to I have the truth. I want to have a right understanding. And James says in James chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask. And uh, he'll give it to us generously. But, um, that, and that's what we should do. We should ask. When, when, uh, when, we, when we lack wisdom in something, we need to know something about the Scriptures. Don't be discouraged that you don't know it. Just ask. Just ask. Pray and fast and Hey, give up a little bit of something. Like Matthew said a while ago, we ought to ask him. And we ought to examine ourselves. Make sure we don't have sin in our life. If you're always not answering you, check yourself out. Yeah, Or be patient. Sometimes it's just time. Sometimes it's just time. So um, in the meantime, be bold. Stand with confidence on the word of Yahweh. Because of our faith in the Messiah, we have been given the gift of grace. Okay? And because of that, we have all the boldness and confidence. You know, in our faith. We're the church, folks. Let's be a light. Let's be a light. A bold and confident light that all people of the earth should look at. And who knows, Yahweh may be fixing to use us in this upcoming age. We don't know what's around the corner. A lot of people have can see into the future. I don't know how they do it, but all of them can just see into the future. You know, there's a lot of people that really understand eschatology, even though I think it was kind of confusing to John, you know, who wrote Revelation. But everybody can see into the future really well. However, I don't have that gift. And uh, so I don't know where we're at in time, okay? When, what's, what's the next day or what's the next step with Yahweh? 
However, I do have I, I do know I can I can wait, be patient, and be ready. And um, in the in the book of I think Second Peter, he says, while we wait earnestly on the Lord, make sure that we're found found blameless. We can do those kind of things. And um, Yahweh may be fixing to use us just like He used Paul. We don't even, we don't even know it's around the corner, but it's a possibility. So so um, stand with confidence, be bold, and uh, help somebody out here and there. You know what I mean? We let's let's just be part of Yahweh's master plan. And um, but anyway, that's what I had to say. And so we'll close in prayer. Yahweh, Father, we thank you for uh, <clears throat> your many blessings, Father, your grace and your mercy on our life. And Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity to stand here. And Yahweh, I hope I didn't do your word and injustice. And, and um, I really don't care what I sound like, Father, and I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I just pray that you're edified, or that the body's edified and that you're glorified. That's all that I really care about. Father, I know that you make the, the lips of the dumb speak. And uh, so, Father, I just pray that you'd use me that way, that I may glorify you and um, may edify your church and lift it up. Father, I praise you for your son, your only begotten son, the one that died for for our sins and was a sacrificial um, payment for our a ransom for us, Father. We, we love you so very much, and I'm thankful for the Sabbath day and the rest and the new moon that I got to spoke on today. And Father, I just pray that you bless us, bring us back next Sabbath, and, and um, let us have a edifying week, Father, and a a week that's, that glorifies you, Father. We lift you up today and we glorify you in your precious and holy son's name. Amen.